Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for listening to this sports podcast. I'm glad you're here because today's show is going to be a good one. First up, CJ Deere to recap the NFL Scouting Combine. CJ, as many of you know, my former NFL chum, as well as currently a Fox Sports social media producer. We're going to recap all four days of the Combine, including John Ross's blistering, record-setting 4.2240, and talk about who else won and lost at their respective Combine days. And then Tom Weisenbach's going to join the show. We're going to talk college basketball. We're less than a week away from the March Madness field getting set. we got a lot to discuss. Who are the real contenders out there? Who are some flawed teams? And what can we look for in this edition of March Madness? Money Mitch Effect, starting now. Okay, it's that time again. NFL Combine is over. It's a wrap. And to recap the four days of action, CJ Deer, Fox Sports Social Producer. CJ, thanks for joining me again. I'm excited. Normally around this time, I'll be just making it back from Indianapolis with the Combine, you know, really getting that in-depth analysis, able to get the inside exclusive what's really happening, the pulse of the whole uh, city. But, yeah, it's good to be here talking about the Combine. Yeah, it's an exciting time. We're we're getting geared up now for the draft. I think it really does start draft season after the combine, and it is. It's probably the most exciting thing going on right now in the football world, with the exception of uh, I know you heard it, but our boy uh, Ezekiel shout out on the Future album. So there was that oh, yeah. as well. Look at you. All right, but, there, but in addition to that, it was the NFL combine and. Every year, you know, we talked about it last week, CJ, how it gets hyped up, and sometimes it's it's kind of overblown, but there's a lot that we can take away from it. Every year, we do the, the framework of who won and who lost the combine from an individual talent standpoint. I want to start with guys, CJ, that didn't do so hot at the combine, and the easiest way to look at how good or, good or bad you did is a 40 time, just on the mm-hmm. number standpoint. From that metric, CJ, as someone that played the game and obviously covered the combine in the last couple of years, how much do you personally take away, and should it be a case-by-case basis? I mean, personally, I don't look at the 40-yard dash. If anything, I look at the shutter run. I look at the broad jump. I look at the vertical because football is played from the waist down. It's all about how powerful your legs is because that helps with your technique in terms of blocking at all positions. In terms of running, too, how quick are you? especially for a receiver, how quick are you getting out the route? So, like, the three-cone drill, the shuttle run, and everything like that in the vertical, like how just explosive you are off the ball. And then, like, even with the lineman, you're not even looking at the whole 40-yard dash. You're just looking at the 10-yard, 20-yard times. So I'm not a big proponent for, like, going looking at the 40-yard dash, how fast someone is running. Don't get me wrong. That definitely is um, head turners and kind of be like, all right, the beauty of it, like you said, we're going to start talking about the losses, but just John Ross real quick is the fact mm-hmm. that he's also a, a pretty pure receiver as well. He has good hands. So, yeah. I mean, I look, it's definitely a, a positive check. You know, it's a green light. All right, let me be, let me go back and turn on the tape. And um, So I feel like the 40-yard dash, these speed workouts, put people in a spotlight, make you want to turn on their tape. So, you know, every 30, all the teams are going to uh, turn on the tape and really – 
analyze you and evaluate you even more just based off the speed time. But that's not the um, deciding factor. It's just really just an eye-opener. But like I said, I don't really put too much into it because, like, you, Jerry Wright's the greatest uh, receiver to ever play the game, ran like a 4-6, I believe. And then you already know Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback to ever um, play. He had a horrible um, yeah. workout. So, and like I said, it's based on position. Like, you got to um, analyze it differently based on the position and the different drills. But I'm, I'm a really big person to look at the positional drills because I want to see how they run routes, how they get out of their routes, do they catch the ball with their hands, you know, is it seamless? Do it look like they, you know, pure hand catches? Or are they trying to catch with their body? Mm-hmm. Or are they how they coming out of their routes? Right. Like, are they still able to act like it's a DB in front of them? Where they snapping off the routes? Like, you know, just all of those tangibles. That's what I'm looking at more than anything else. And that's why I like the combine. Yeah, I think actually Rice ran a four seven, so it shows you that it doesn't really it oh, doesn't really translate necessarily. And how many fast oh, that, guys flame out of the league that have the best forty times and just can't? can't catch, can't run crisp routes. But, look, from the losing standpoint, and not just the 40 time, there were some players that didn't own up to what we thought they would do at the combine. And I want to actually start with the quarterback group, CJ. Maybe a big four with Mahomes out of Texas Tech, but you had Trubisky, Kaiser, and Watson. And of mm-hmm. those three, Kaiser was, was far and away the least glamorous. He didn't do a great job. His throwing was just average. He didn't interview as well as we thought. This is a wide-open race, CJ, and Kaiser, who I'm on record as saying I like the physical tools, didn't have the best combine. Do you think this is going to affect his draft stock pretty poorly? Oh, absolutely. But he could definitely regain it at his pro day. And the spotlight is big. You know, you go into Indianapolis, all the cameras are on you. It's a grueling process. Like you said, you have to sit down, take tests go to the hospital, get tested. You got to go through multiple interviews with all the teams, and then you have to hit the field. Like, you're kind of much out of your element. Don't get me wrong. Nowadays, they prep for this immediately after the season. But if he's still able to uh, make a big push, but I don't think he's going to be able to catch up to Watson because I feel like Watson just really separated himself from the competition this weekend. It definitely does dampen it. Like, it um, decreases his chance of, you know, making a big spotlight, but he could be like a later round quarterback that could uh, end up winding on a good team and a good coaching system, and then could end up paying off in the end. But yes, this weekend he hurt his draft stock. To answer well, your question, you know, I think so too. I think uh, he still has his pro day. That's an opportunity we'll dive into a little later that can really enhance how teams think of you. I think in a, in a way, Trubisky had a had a good combine, but there's still those doubts of this is a guy that only had 13 starts. You know, he's he's quick. He was running a sub four six forty. He's an athlete. Watson did very well, but more most importantly, just to kind of stick with the quarterback class, CJ Watson interviewed well, and all the players just I would say more than any other player when they asked the current group of draft prospects who is the toughest player to compete against, they said Watson. They raved about him. They raved about his reputation, his competitiveness. I think those two things really helped him and really did a good job giving him that boost. I don't know where he'll get drafted, but he was the big winner of the quarterback class, no question, this weekend. And, I, I mean, and all you have to do is just turn on the tape. And then and he was able to um, solidify what you saw on tape is the type of quarterback that he is. And the way that he was just carrying himself when he was walking around, interacting with the other quarterbacks, you could just tell he was a leader. And, uh, like, all of the big games that he's been uh, put in, winning the national championship this past season. So, I mean, his numbers speak for itself. He did an excellent job at the combine. And 
the sky's the limit. He's definitely going to be a, a top ten pick. See, top five, now, top 10. now that's where I might disagree with you because why I respect his ability and his competitiveness. I, I don't know that the the talent level to be an NFL bona fide star franchise quarterback is there. I'm I'm on the fence on that. And not to say he, that he's not the best in the he, class. I think it's he, a weak draft class for quarterbacks. No, he's the he's the best quarterback in the class, and then quarterbacks and some and just looking at the top five picks, all of them need quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, so and so and even looking at the all top ten, so no, it's, I don't even know when it was a draft that quarterbacks haven't went in the top five or top ten. So he's definitely going to go off the board early, and then he might go to a situation where they might have a veteran, but. Like I said, he could be put in a situation like Jared Goff. He's not going number one, but I'm just saying where well, he has to sit for a while and then eventually play towards the end of the season. But he's yeah. definitely going early because well, I mean his his uh, resume speaks for itself. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I don't, I'm not I'm not saying he's not going to make it in the NFL, but I don't know if he's going to measure up to what we've been kind of spoiled with some of these young guys that come in and can play very well at a very early stage in their career. And and quickly, CJ, do you think Trubisky has what it takes to be a franchise quarterback? There's a lot of unknown with him. I mean, like you said, he, 13 games is really – I feel like – because he came from a pro-style offense, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in North Carolina. Yeah, so sure. he he has a leg up in that. You just have to see. I, I, of course, I never want to count anyone out because I feel like if you get placed in the right system, get grown by the right coaches – and then if you don't have to start too early, like the sky's the limit for it, especially at the quarterback position. Other position is just based on if you got it. If you're athletic enough, you're not afraid you can step out there and do what you have to do. Just look at Ezekiel Elliott. He was put in the right system behind a great offensive line. And he was he was used to playing in big games and put in big pressure situations. So he was able to take advantage of it. And, I mean, Dak Prescott was an anomaly. Like, I, I don't really <laughs> see too many other quarterbacks like that, but... At the quarterback position, if you put in the right system, if you put in the um, coach by the right coaches, you could be successful. And that's how I feel about Trubisky. Absolutely. We'll, we'll have to see if a team reaches a little higher on him or if he finds that perfect situation. Still chatting with C.J. Deere on the Money so, Mitch Effect, recapping the NFL Combine. If we're talking losers in the Combine, C.J., we have to talk about Ruben Foster. I mean, it's one thing to have a poor performance. It's another to get sent home from the Combine yeah. for arguing with a hospital worker. This is a guy that was projected as a potential top 10 pick. I don't know. This may knock him out all the way out of the first round, depending on what exactly went down. Just a, an unbelievable gaffe on his part. Yeah, he really messed up that whole situation because look at Joe Mixon. They didn't even invite him to the combine mm. because of um, his off-the-field issues. And I know, granted, those are not on the same same wavelength. Like, Joe Mixon, what he did was definitely inappropriate but at the same time you know that the nfl is cracking down on um issues like that when it comes to acting out especially you in a setting like the nfl combine where all of the executives are there all of the coaches are there all of the owners you're supposed to be on your best behavior i don't care if you feel like you are a top 10 pick they're grading you while you in the stadium at lucas or your stadium when you at dinner like trust me they have eyes everywhere so that's definitely going to Knock him down. He might not even. He might be below top twenty or lower. Now. Yeah. He might yeah. not even go first round. It just depends on which team. And like I said, it depends on his pro day too. Like you said, he had a horrible. He didn't have a great workout either. Yeah, you know, I'm no expert, but I don't think yelling and the alleged comment was, "Do you know who I am?" That's probably not good for your uh, draft stock. That would be. That would be my and guess. Just, 
red flag. That's a red flag to think that you above normal people. <laughs> like, yeah. already it's just a red flag. Which is sad, because we know he can play. We saw the tape of him dominating on that Alabama defense. I'm glad you brought up Joe Mixon, CJ, because one of the interesting takes, takeaways from this weekend is that he's actually coming off in the positive as a quote-unquote winner. And, and I say that because scouts were talking that he might have draft potential, maybe second, third, fourth round, which given where he was about a month ago, even a couple weeks ago, that might not have been seen to be a possibility. So I think the fact that Mixon could be drafted now, that teams are talking about that for potential, that could be something to uh, look at as a win as well. Right. Yeah. So definitely keep our eyes on that. And then when Oklahoma have their pro days and see how he comes out and performs. But, yeah. Like you said, that's a whole discussion in his own. I don't know if you want to go down no. that road, yeah. No, I mean, we kind of illustrated that you have you have a team that if they set up a set of ground rules, no more, you know, one strike, you're out type policy. If you are truly sorry and you're willing to change, you know, there might be room for there's. I'm, I'm, I believe in second chances, CJ. I, I think if no, someone no, is I truly sorry. It. No, and I agree. I'm just saying I, I see how um, the NFL is really sticking down right. or punishing. Kids like that, but I'm pretty sure they put him in the right program just to make sure he stays on track because it was such a, a um, national um, story. So, well, sticking with, uh, I'll go with the running back group now, CJ. There are some winners and some losers, and the biggest winner from the running back group, running back group, hands down, was Leonard Fournette. He came in weighing mm-hmm. at 240 pounds, which he said was water weight, which apparently he's <laughs> training for a fight now too, as he's got the water weight under control. But he ran a four-five-one, just blistering speed for a guy that size. He dominated the drills. He even did well catching passes, which he wasn't really known too much for in college. But Fournette, a physical freak, a good combine. There's really not too many questions left other than can he stay healthy, CJ. I was blown away by what he did. Right. I mean, but just think about I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just look at his workload. Like, the whole, his, all of his years at LSU, he was the workhorse. Like, they pounded in the ball. If he was unsuccessful, the team lost. And, and then if you ever look at it, they always had a, a eight-man box. Like, he was – so he was beat up. So hopefully he won't have to carry the – I know he will once he gets to the pros, but if they could just shorten his uh, workload a little bit, he could really be successful in the league. But like you said, his workout was really great. When, how, how big is he again running a 4 5 four, six, so just, yeah, just insane. <laughs> Insane that he's yeah, that so, big, you know. Right, so I'm, he's going to do do well in the league. I mean, he was built to play in the NFL, and like you say, he just proved us correct that that he's a high draft pick, and he's going to. I think he's going to be successful in the league. But my biggest winner to me was Christian um, McCaffrey because we haven't right. really been talking about a lot leading up to the draft, and I think yes, he did only bench press 10, 10 reps. But at the same time, like I say, if you just turn on the tape, he has good balance. He has good um, leverage, like in terms of blocking. So I don't think that's going to play a, a major issue. Right, and you can line end. him up anywhere. You know, he can play running right. back. They can line him up in the slot. He can catch passes. His his forty time of four four nine was was good. It wasn't like elite it, level. It was only it was only one tick slower than Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott. So yeah. and then he faster. Run than Odell Beckham. Mm. Yeah, so. no, I'm a fan of McCaffrey. If he finds himself in the right situation, he's going to be a, a playmaker. Alvin Kamara, I know we had uh, Sean Sullivan Sully on the show last week. He had a good 
combine as well. He's another guy that could be that late first, early second round draft pick. But the big loser in this group, and I hate to say that because we all know he can play, at least at the college level, and he's a gamer at that level, is Dalvin Cook from Florida State, CJ. A four five forty, or a four yeah, a four five forty, which is not what they were expecting from him. His numbers were just pedestrian across the board. And this brings up the other debate, CJ, because we have tape on him. And we know he's a gamer, and we know he plays very, very well in the big moments. But the combine wasn't good. How much stock are you putting into Cook's performance at the scouting combine? I think he's a, a second-round running back. He, he could definitely creep in. So the first round, I'm not really putting a lot into it because, like you said, all you have to do is turn on the tape. And he's a gamer. I just remember watching him in the ball game. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. this, kid is, this kid is great. So, I mean, like, I'm not really putting too much stock into it. Like you say, he played in, in the ACC. He, he was a Tommy broke records at Florida State. So, like like I said, to me, it's, it's like, all right, so you watch the tape, then you go to the combine. Some people just solidify, like, yes, I knew this is the person that we're going to see. And like you say, some people drop. And it's just based on the they out of day element. You know, they've been prepping for it, but still, just like sometimes you prep for it, you study for a big exam, and you still do bad because the pressure was just too much. And then when you get back in the comfort of your own, like you've been through it already, and you can get back into the comfort and um, working out in your own facility. And, yeah, so we can see how he does. But like I said, at the end of the day, the combine is good because it's able to, so people start to able to rise, but at the same time, it's not the end-all, be-all. Yeah, well, so, and, and I think, too, I'm, I'm always, especially for running back, what they do on the field, how they're able to see the holes. I mean, Richardson had a, Trent Richardson had a great combine, and, we all saw how that turned out. I think, too, Cook, and I've been on record saying this, CJ, I think he could be the best running back in this draft class. You mentioned the bowl game, and you mentioned how he played. His running style is similar to guys like Elliott who just have that vision. Yeah. You know? and, and, look, it's another thing of where the running backs are coming into the league, and they're making an impact early. You get a guy like him, you get someone that could handle the workload or run in between the tackles. Right, and they have to because, like you say, they um, chef life is so short, unfortunately. So, like, they come in, even what you said, Trent Richardson. I know his career didn't pan out. He was a disappointment. But his, like, first two years, he was solid. Uh, and so that, uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know he couldn't see those. But at the same time, I just know it wasn't. Did he have over a 1,000 yards or no? I don't know. I mean, we have to go back and look. I kind of, uh, yeah, well, I neuralized, yes, you know, I neuralized yeah. that like uh, Will Smith and Men in Black from my memory. So I have no recollection <laughs> of, uh, of those years. All right. So um, yeah, was, yeah. They have to come in and just make an impact early. Yeah. So he definitely has the capability of doing that. Oh, yeah. Well, as I continue this chat with CJ Dare on the Money Mitch Effect about the NFL scouting combine, I want to switch to the receiver tight end group, and we mentioned Ross 4-2-2-40 breaking Chris Johnson's record. He really ran himself into an injury as he tightened up at the end, but did not take the island, ran it in his Nikes, and did not take the Adidas island, although the taxes on that must have been insane, but... No, I was no first thing that came to my mind. I'm yeah. like, I wonder how much the taxes would have been. Well, he said, you saw the quote, too. He said he couldn't, he didn't take it because he doesn't really know how to swim, which... Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, no, but... That's- in all you better learn to yeah. get an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all seriousness, CJ, this is Ross, who is an L.A. kid. He's His mentor is Deshaun Jackson. Well, his other mentor is Snoop Dogg, who he played on his youth football know. team. But this kid's been a burner for a while. We saw him play at Washington. He's fast. He's not the biggest by any means, but he 
can run good routes, and we always talk about the 40 time, how it can provide a necessary bump. I don't know where he is in the receiver pecking order, but I think a lot of teams saw that result and said, you know what, this could be a fun toy to play with. We can line him up in a lot of different formations. He definitely, his stock has risen to the first round. He's going to be a first-round pick. And like you said, he looked up to Deshaun Jackson. And I do see the similarities. They catch the ball. They both got good ball skills. But the crazy thing is, like, Deshaun Jackson is freaky fast. Yeah. But John Ross is faster. Like, just, <laughs> just, just to even try to wrap your head thinking about it, it's just, it's, like you said, it, he's going to be fun to watch on Sundays because he can now he can return the ball. He's going to be and then just a, hopefully he can go to a, a good team with a quarterback that like a Drew Brees or something that's not afraid to just let it loose down the field. Or I mean, he could be fun to watch. Yeah, maybe maybe he replaces Brandon Cooks on that Saints offense because it looks like they're going to yeah. be moving on from him. So I think Ross could definitely slide right in. Real, real quick, just think about like Tyreek Hill, like what he did for Kansas City towards the yeah. end of the season. I could see him doing something similar. CJ, another name that fits right in that had a great combine, and I'm a little biased here, but my boy Samuel out of Ohio State, four three one, four three one speed. I mean, there there are some burners in this draft class. I think I know we're looking at it like the 2014 and 15 receiver classes were loaded. But I think there's potential here for some gems, especially in the late rounds. Yeah, that, that's a good comparison. Like you said, there's so many burners in this one, and that's what the NFL is moving more to, like, uh, uh, kind of spread it out, like shotgun, 3-4 receiver set, the speed, like options, or whatever it is. It's just the offensive coordinators are so creative, and it is starting to get away from the run game. So, like I said, with these offensive coordinators today, it, they can really – come in and make an impact on the league immediately. Right, it was uh, you know, Chris Godwin running the 4-4 for Penn, from Penn State. We saw what he did in the Rose Bowl at the end of their season. Now, Cooper Cup, Eastern Washington, CJ only ran a 4-6. He's been making some headway, played in the senior ball, an FCS player, did a good job. He, he might scare teams away with that 40 time, but I think as a mid to late round draft pick, you could definitely do worse. No, I, and I don't, like you say, by him impressing in the senior bowl, like that's what a lot of people, because he was able to work, like you and shoulder pads, you're working with the coaches every day. They know game speed is way different than a straight line speed. He runs crisp routes. He has solid hands. And so, like you say, he's a taller, he's not, I mean, he's, yeah, he's not that tall. He's not like extremely big. At the same time, he could be like a Chris Ogan or something like that, right. you know. Just like run good route, you don't have to um, separate. But like I say, if you run Chris routes, you can separate from anybody. It could be the fastest DB, whoever it could be guarding you. But if you run nice Chris routes and release, get has good release, and it's really about your eyes too. Like if you could just look off the DB, have them thinking you're going one way when you're going the other way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know you practice in the Senior Bowl. And the coaches raved about him against Division One talent, so I think he'll be fine as he moves to the next level. And quickly, CJ, the tight end group, very, very underrated. We haven't seen in the last couple of years as many impact tight ends, at least at the top of drafts, but I counted three to four potential big-name players that could be first-round talent. I, that might have been the most impressive grouping to me, what they were able to do. Yes, I mean, but like you said, the um the last big time tight end, what you would say, Eric Ebron, when he really stole the show. Yeah, but like the, the 
the tight end, and then I mean, he, he's okay. He has flashes, but you think he would do better playing with Matthew Stafford, especially after they lost uh, Megatron. Tight ends really has been falling off. I'm thinking of, like, Vernon Davis. He was a real nice yeah. athlete. Yeah. You know, really good and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, we just got to see how it pans out, to be honest. <laughs> right, right. The names I saw, Bucky Hodges. Oh, Bucky yeah, Hodges well, out of Virginia Tech is basically Jimmy Graham on measurables. I mean, 6'6", six, mm-hmm. six, you know, he ran the 40 a, a hundred slower, but he's basically the same size as him. Uh, O.J. Howard, who we saw light up Clemson two years in a row in title games, 4-5 speed beast as well. But then the guy that really impressed me, C.J., I, Ole Miss tight end Evan Ingram, he ran a 4-4-2. I mean, that's a tight end running that. I mean, I... I know it's just numbers, but I had to just, you know, that might have been the no, most impressive. You said that, that side, like, you, they can put him in slide. They're going to, uh, the goal line, he's going to be a threat. So, I mean, they could definitely pan out and um, make, a, make a huge impact on teams. I want to talk, before we wrap up this combine discussion, CJ Darren, the Money Mitch effect, I want to briefly mention the big boys, D-line and O-line. O-line first because... It's been projected that this might be the first time in a while that there's not a lineman going in the top 10. I saw some good performances, CJ, but I, I did understand that perspective. While the combine performances bring out the best in some of these prospects, I wasn't completely blown away by anyone on the O-line. I, I don't know if I'm in the minority there, but that's the vibe I was getting from this group. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, for the past couple of years, you would see some of these linemen that just blew it in the drills, like we just say with the size and quickness and then just really be able to, it's hard to really tell to me looking at these offensive linemen. I definitely do think it's some gems in the draft and like you say, in the later rounds. And most of the time, that's when you get some of the best linemen. Like if they're not the number one overall pick, like Orlando Pace or something like that, and then they know, like the good solid linemen come in the middle of the first round to the end and definitely in the second and third round. So, like you said, it won't be none that go off the board early, but I do think they will be able to make an impact on teams right. down the road. You look at a guy like Cam Robinson out of Alabama, who, for most people's money, I guess mine included, is the best lineman in the draft, but he's making a position change. He's going to go to tackle at the next level, so we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of question marks for even the best one, so it's something to kind of pay attention to as they progress with the draft now a little over a month away. On the flip side of the ball, though, CJ, we saw the surest thing in the combine was a great performance by Miles Garrett. Now, I don't know what it would take for him not to be the first overall pick, but the odds are getting slimmer and slimmer by the day. Well, I could just tell you he's the first overall pick. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. it's just like, like Blake Erie. <laughs> he's, he's the um, most freakish athlete. And that's what it is. When it comes to the first three, the top three picks, you just draft them based on the most athletic player there. It's, it's right. not, I mean, unless you really have a quarterback that's like an Andrew Luck or somebody that, that can really change a whole organization that's athletic, that's smart, you know, that can make all the throws. But when it, but past that, it's, it's the most athletic. That's why just, just Davion Clowney won number one overall, Mario Williams. So it's gonna, um, Miles Garrett's going to be in the same yeah. situation. And like I say, he, like you say, he's a freaking athlete. Kind of reminds me of um, Peppers a little bit. Right, four, six, four, four, six, four speed, and absolutely chiseled, too. I, I mean, that guy yeah. is like a freak of nature with how built how built he is. But Greek guy. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a Greek guy. But, and then, too, it's like, as a Browns fan, CJ, I was talking to my dad about this. 
it can't be considered just a bonehead decision. Like if he if he's a bust, it's a bust that everybody would have made because you have right. To so you don't want to be you don't want to be the guy that didn't draft him and then he ended up being right. the, the best as a being to ever play football. Like like you said, if, if everyone was put in that situation, they would pick him. Right, and, and another guy to talk about having a good combine was C.J. Jabril Peppers out of Michigan. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good segue between linebacker and DB. I thought it was a genius yeah. move by his agent to have him run the 40 with the linebackers, by the way. I thought that was just a great oh, stroke absolutely. of genius. Absolutely. So the thing was, they were saying that since he was listed as a linebacker during the season, that's why he worked out with the linebackers. But he wanted to play safety in the NFL, so he was able to convince the higher-ups that the NFL combine to let him work out with the DBs. But like you said, at the end of the day, strategically it was smart because he was able to stand out in that pack. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think he's somebody that it's probably going to be a project. There's going to be a learning curve. Everybody talks about the Honey Badger as a potential pro comparison, but he had more game reps at that position, even though he was kind of moving safety to corner. I think there's a bigger gap between moving linebacker to secondary. But, look, I'm on – and another thing, too, I I could not stand his team, as you know, in college, but I have all the respect in the world for him as a competitor, and I think he's going to be a gem in this draft. I really do. Yes, I mean, for him to be able to play defense and offense, running back just – it seemed like every weekend he was making a play to put his team in a position to win the game. Like, he was just, just he's just an athlete. He's just ATH. That's all they have to list him as. And like you said, where he was successful everywhere they put him on the field. So I can't um, second-guess him if he wants to go to safety. I feel like he could still make plays there. If you want to play running back in the NFL, he could do that. If you want to play linebacker, he could do that as well because he hasn't, he hasn't proven us wrong yet. Not yet, no. And with Reuben Foster, a linebacker, getting sent home, my God, Ohio State, Raekwon McMillan could be filling that void. Jared Davis at Florida, those guys had good combines as well. I think it's an interesting class. I, I really do. I, I don't know that Duke Riley at LSU as well. The linebacker position now, you need, you need rushers, you need generals in the middle. I think there's going to be some some interesting picks there. I want to get that out of the way because what I'm going to say next, I don't know if you agree with CJ, but defensive backs, as deep a pool as I can remember. And I say that totally being a prisoner of the moment watching today's combine action. But you see a lot of free agent DBs. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah at NFL who tweeted out it was a bad day today for veteran free agent DBs because all this young talent is coming into the league. And I got to start off with with uh, Adoree Jackson out of USC because he yeah. is somebody CJ that whatever drill he's doing, take the numbers away. He just looks like he is a master on that position. <laughs> I like it. He does, I like dude. It. He he I agree. He, he does. He just knows. That he's just a football player. Like you watch him play, like that's a ball player. Like he's got smooth smooth strides. He's a ball oh, hawk cool. in the secondary. Everything just looks natural to him. Would be my takeaway. No, he's going to be a shutdown for the day. Like you said, every every drill, and that's why I say I really look at the ball drills too. Like for a DB, like go up, catch the ball so effortlessly, and then just to be able to run so smooth. I mean, like I said, he's going to be a shutdown corner, but that's a great tweet by Daniel Jeremiah too. He said, the best, these Reavers Island. Yeah, it's not an island anymore. Everybody's putting up some place, uh, able to rent a nice little vacation state there. 
But I, and and another thing too with the uh, with the lack of starting, you know, having a lot of starts under your belt. Two of my guys from Ohio State, C.J. Lattimore and Hooker, Malik Hooker, mm-hmm. uh, the safety, Lattimore, the corner. Great combine, ran very well, did well in the drills. But again, they only had one year starting. Now, my defense to that would be all the guys starting above them went to the NFL the year before. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to win out their job. But I can I can understand some trepidation with these teams not having as much tape. At the end of the day, though, you got to trust your eyes and the talent. Right. And, I mean, like you said, that does speak volumes. Ohio State was just deep the year before, not last year, but the year before that. And But that does kind of speak volume, in my opinion, for them to not even um, – Get it a little. I mean, they got a little playing time like two years ago, but at the same time, so you, I feel like you have to really look at that tape hard. Like, if they impress you during the combine, you have to go back and see. Like, are they legit starters in the NFL or are they just nickel or dime players their first year? Here's the other thing I'll say to that, CJ. How many times now in the game of football do you play? Do teams play nickel in dime packages? Way, way up because of these passing attacks. So even if there's mm-hmm. some doubts, you want to take a chance on a DB, you're probably more likely to because there's always a place for him. There's always a need for him. The days of just needing really two main corners are over. You need that extra DB on the field. Yeah, like how we were just saying, you could have a Christian McCaffrey line up in the slot of some of these dynamic tight ends could just get up. So you got to have a DB to get on the field to make these plays because the game is getting less and less about running the ball. But to me, in my opinion, the, the most important position, as always, is the D-line, especially on the defensive side and then um, the O-line. Yeah. Everything falls into play. Of course, like quarterback play and all of those other things. But when it comes to skill position, it kills me to say this because I played a skill <laughs> position for, for my whole life. But at the same time, I understand when I was playing DB, the only reason I was able to get those interceptions or make plays is because most nine times out of ten, the defense was able to get in the quarterback's face to disrupt the pass play or whatever it may be. Or, you know, are they just stacking them all game? So his clock is a little bit faster than it would have mm-hmm. normally been in the beginning of the game. And then at the same time, like I was more of a um, deep threat at receiver. And I understand for me to be able to get those nine routes or, you know, go to deep post or a fade, the offensive line got to give my quarterback time for him to do those five-step drops. Yeah, so, those are those are true words. Like I, I do, it's always impressive because, like I said, I love to see the um, DBs and the running backs. Really, I mean, DBs and wide receivers. Then you can put running backs in there too. But just really steal the show with their forty times and their, just showing off their athletic um, ability. And I love to see DBs catching with their hands and uh, you know just look fluid when they in their hips. Like that's definitely impressive. But I know the money position is the O-line and the D-line. And that's why I just say, like, with no question, Miles Garrett, that's why you just got to take him number one. Because if you could get a solid defensive line, just go back to when the um, Broncos won the Super Bowl. Like, you know, they had a beat-up, washed-up quarterback, no disrespect to Peyton Manning. But, you know, if they had that defensive line, they wouldn't have won. And the same thing you would go to when the Giants beat the Patriots those times. You know, you had Strahan, Tuck, and everybody else on that D-line getting to Tom Brady. Yeah. It was a low-scoring game. So, that's to me, that's where the game is at. Don't get me wrong, just watching it now and not playing, like it's definitely fun to see all these touchdowns and big plays. But, you know, if you got a, a stacked D-line, like you're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you're also talking, too, like a guy that realized that you need to make the big boys happy. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. better locker room when the linemen are happy and they get the respect they deserve. So... Yeah, and they need to be. We the only right. That's the only reason we making big plays. 
It's the reason why you see them get gifts whenever a running back sets a record or a quarterback makes a pro ball appearance. It's why they're treating their big boys up front. And I agree with you. I think this was an interesting combine. It's step one in the draft process, CJ. But, hey, the offseason, uh, football season really never ends. And we're just now in offseason mode of what's still an exciting time of year for football. So we'll be following it, absolutely. CJ, it was, uh, it was a blast. We'll have to get you back on again, CJ. Thanks again. And, yeah, next time you're on, we might be getting ready for that draft. I don't know. We'll be getting ready for the next class of NFL employees to be coming on the podium and on the stage. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a good time. As always, thanks to C.J. Deer for coming on the show and breaking down some NFL scouting tape. He loves the combine. He loves football. I've heard a good chance to talk to C.J. about football. Take that opportunity. He's doing great work at Fox Sports as a social media producer. Big thanks to him. Won't be the last time he's on this show. I can safely call my shot there. All right, now it's time to switch sports and talk to Tom Weisenbach, another fellow who I work with at the NFL who also does some work now at Fox Sports. But we're going to talk college basketball in less than a week the March Madness pool will be selected and in about a week from today we're going to have our first play-in game so get excited there Tom and I are going to discuss all the college basketball storylines break down playing each conference who's safely in the tournament who's a contender who's going to have to fight to get in and who ultimately will stumble short in March Madness we're going to make a bunch of predictions that hopefully some stick it's Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect talking college basketball All right, now joining us again on the Money Mitch Effect, Tom Weisenbach. Tom, thank you for taking a break out of your NFL Fox Sports schedule to be here. Always my pleasure. Always uh, happy to be here to talk some hoops this time. I know the last time you were here, I think, was uh, successfully predicting the championship games going into the Super Bowl. And we needed you said it, too. It. We've, had some, we've had some bad picks, me mostly, but we needed, we needed a couple good ones. Of course, I picked the uh, Falcons and, and Patriots and... I think I said don't sleep on the Falcons either against the Patriots, but that that only lasted for three quarters. Yeah, well, yeah, but uh, I had a, a horror money line bet story about that game that you could probably imagine. But I digress. It's hoop season. We're getting into the nitty gritty. It's finally March, and openly I'll admit that of all the sports in the world, college basketball is, I guess, I wouldn't call it one of my all-time favorites. But I, I do get up for this time. I think, just like in any sport, you have the early onset months of, do these games really matter? Well, now they do. And we're starting to see a field emerge. I think it's a great time of year. And this year, to me at least, Tom, it seems very wide open. Yeah, you think you look at the top, and, and number one has changed hands a few times. And this year you saw a couple of number one seeds go down in the first game. At number one, Baylor comes to mind right off the bat. Villanova, Gonzaga was undefeated for a while. A lot of people thinking about who they have played throughout the season. Villanova, is a, you know, being a Philly kid, I have a lot of information on those guys, or at least following their season, mm-hmm. just because they're a big five school. But yeah, there's a lot of really good teams. Will that one great team emerge? I didn't even mention Duke or North Carolina and, and what they've gone through this year. Yeah, Louisville, another one that's right around the top. We're going to get into all that in just a second, but I'll let you talk about what's been kind of a frustrating year for your alma mater, Temple. Tom, they 
came into the season with middle of the road expectations. It hasn't quite gone your way. I've noticed, admittedly so, not watching a lot of tape on your team. A lot of close losses. A lot of games have gone down to the wire where you guys just aren't able to make the plays to come out with a victory. Are you totally surprised by this, or are you expecting kind of a lackluster season? Well, going into the year, we uh, Temple was waiting on the health of senior guard Josh Brown. He was coming off an Achilles surgery in the offseason. Nobody was really sure when he was going to come back. Turns out he did come back, performed fairly well, and then developed soreness and decided to shut it down for the whole year. So good news out of this season was we had a lot of freshmen get some playing time and hopefully they can gel together and play. Quentin Rose is a bright spot. That kid can jump out of the building, made some really good highlight dunks this year that you might have seen on SportsCenter. Uh, Obi Anecionia, one of the big disappointments, he was a big... He's got to be 6'10 forward who can shoot. Not when his shot wasn't falling, he would end up getting into a rut where they wouldn't, he wouldn't play as tight a defense. He was trying to find his role once his shot wasn't falling. Shiz Alston, da- Daniel Dingle kind of picked up the slack, but totally average year for the team. I'm, I think the switch to the American Conference has been a struggle for Temple University in the last three or so years. They... Uh, in the Atlantic 10, when they were competing in the A-10, as you know, going to St. Louis, they would be in the tournament conversation every year, at the very least, on the bubble. And I've been very disappointed over the last two years, and I don't know if that's a testament to the head coach, Fran Dunphy, his recruiting, yeah. or what, coming from Penn, he, didn't, he wasn't able to rec- recruit the top-level athlete. Well, now he has, and it's, I mean, he's been there for near a decade, if not more. You always wonder when, I mean, the, the cliche of, well, we got a lot of young guys, they can build experience. Well, eventually that has to build towards something. I've seen Temple play a little bit. The American Conference, which is surprisingly getting stronger and stronger, I think, each year. And I'm not just saying that because you kind of won a title a few years ago, but I do think, as a whole, the conference is getting better. You have two of, what, the top 15, top 20 teams in the country. It's not a testament of you guys not really having having the bodies, because I do see a lot of talent on that roster. Maybe it is the coach. Maybe Fran isn't getting the job done. It's it's hard, because it's not full of this team sucks, we need to blow it up mode, but you wonder if a change is necessary to make that next step, because a realistic expectation for a team like you guys is the, is the and I use them as an example, but the Xavier A-10 model, where we could consistently be, be getting to the tournament, making runs at the Sweet 16, not going to have top 10 talent ever in the country, but you put a squad together, you make a run in March, anything can happen. I long for those Xavier <laughs> Temple battles. And yeah. we, had, we had a whiteout for one of those big games when, when Xavier was ranked a few years ago when I was actually going to school there. Yeah, disappointing. They were such a weird Jekyll Hyde team and relying on the shot so much that they could go out and if they shot well in the first half, they could beat a Memphis on the road by mm-hmm. 15. And then flip that around and lose at ECU, a team that they will be facing in the first round of the American tournament. That's what I don't understand. And I look at the total losses you guys have in conference. There's not that, like, the bottom of the barrel isn't that strong. It's pretty good at the top, but some of the losses, like you mentioned, East Carolina and, and some of the teams that are playing, they're just head scratchers. They I, took Tulane to two overtimes at home, a, le- a team with one wow. league win on the year. Games like that are, are leaving us scratching our heads as, as Owl fans. So what percentage chance would you give the Owls of making that Cinderella run? Zero. Zero? Okay, all right. I, I was about that. but Only because when 
when they face ECU, and I, I expect them to to win that game in the first round of sort of a play-in tournament where the, the lower seeds, the six lowest seeds, I think, play each other into that next bracket in which the 8-9 game, I think, as it stands right now, will play the number one seed in the tournament. I believe that's SMU. Oh, yeah, SMU, just over Cincinnati. So it's SMU, Cincinnati, and Houston's conference to lose. Houston's a, a bubble team. Like we're looking at them as maybe if they go into if they make the finals of the conference tournament, you'd say more probable than not. But I don't know. I, I look at SMU and Cincinnati as two teams that I think could make deep, very deep runs in March Madness. They're going to have the bump up all. We're not. I think the panel is going to say they're not Power Five conferences conference teams. We're going to see them a little low. I really think they have a chance to make a run. SMU especially missing the tournament last year. You see those players that emerge in, in March Madness and you hear of their name first time in March. And I think Semi Ojale is going to be one of those names for SMU that's going to emerge in a tournament if they were, if they're invited to win this tournament or they're right in. Semi Ojale is going to be one of those wow players that of underrated, not national attention guy who is going to get some, some love in March. Uh, Cincinnati, Troy Copain, you could probably speak to him. And, and that team just has depth and, and veteran coaching. They know their role, and they're gonna, they've got one of their better teams to get it done. They've got height, they've yeah. got good guard play, and they defend. So it's that those are always tough outs in the tournament. Right, 12 in the country, SMU. If they don't win the conference title, they drop a little in the rankings, they could be a seed as low as six. If they're a six seed, I mean, come on. That's, that's got run written all over it. But... One last point on Temple. I mean, maybe it's a transition to being a football school now after all, after all these years. We did see Hassan Reddick destroy the Hassan combine Reddick. on Saturday. It's a great story, too. I believe he ran a faster 40 than teammate Nate Hairston, who was a wide receiver turned defensive back. And I believe Nate Hairston ran a 4-6-40 where Hassan came in at 4-5-2. And that guy could get after the passer. The, the passer. He's a great pass rusher. Wreaking havoc, just ask Navy's quarterback in the uh, American Championship game. He yeah. took a beating in that game, and a lot of it was due to Hassan Reddick, and that was the, the Temple success was driven by him this year, especially losing Tyler Matakevich to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL draft. Yeah, I think you guys are building on something. We'll see what the next coach does, but... <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't a that wasn't a diss. We got a. I thought you were talking about the basketball team tomorrow. Oh no! Oh no! No. no. <laughs> we were already predicting France demise. Well, yeah, I still well, love Fran Dunphy. Yeah, but not not just yet, not just yet. But all right, Tom Weisenbach, Money Mitch Peck. For the rest of this conversation, I want to go conference by conference. This isn't a prediction show. There's obviously too much to be decided over who's going to make the tournament or not. But I want some general thoughts on each conference. And Tom, we'll start with the ACC. It's the for all intents and purposes, the Mecca of college basketball conference-wise, it's always the deepest year in, year out. I would compare it to the SEC in that regard, that you're going to have that depth of talent. But, and this might be a difference between football and basketball at the college level, you don't have that dominance in who is winning championships, partially because it is one and done in the tournament. But do you, for ACC standards, think this is going to be a big tournament year for them? We're looking at eight, possibly nine tournament teams you think this is another year where the ACC does damage in March? Just by the law of averages, you have to say that there, there's one team out of that bunch, if not 
four that could, yeah. could end up in I guess the, one is a push. The final Two weekend. is a strong, you know, obviously, and then anything else is ridiculous. And we're looking at Duke, Louisville, North Carolina, Syracuse if they make the field. Well, West Virginia is 11, too. West Virginia, well... Are they in the ACC? I, That's I, right, always I forget. forget. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I think too. they're in the Big Twelve. They're in the Big Twelve. Drawing a blank there, but yeah, the old, the old Big East, West Virginia. It does get a little hard to keep up with all these teams. But you mentioned the heavy hitters, and I want to start with the team that I think is consistently the best in that conference. That's North Carolina. What they're able to do in big games is what impresses me the most. They play Louisville. They show up. They beat them pretty good. They play Duke in the rivalry game. They win that handily. I watch this team play, Tom, and the thing that stands out to me, because obviously at that level you can recruit very well, you're getting the best athletes, but rebounding, they're the best rebounding team in the country. When you own the glass at any level of basketball, that's a huge advantage, especially come this time of year when one loss in your home. I think they can hang their hat on the fact that we're going to pound the glass, especially on the offensive side. It gives them an intrinsic advantage right off the bat. I, yeah, you nailed that with, with North Carolina. That's another team that's just balanced and deep. They have one player who fouls out most games. And yeah. I forget his name off the top of my head. There's so many stars. I had to cut a highlight and log a game against NC State that they played. And it was too difficult to get all of their superstars into the highlight because they were all performing. They all probably had double figures in that game. And... The next day, NC State's coach gets fired. So if they really capitalize on their game, they're going to make you surrender to their will, as they showed against Duke. I didn't see that game, but the, you said they won handily. I watched the North Carolina-Duke game the first time around. Yeah, it was competitive. It was, it was competitive. Uh, it was competitive. I, I shouldn't say handily. It was competitive, but down the stretch, North Carolina just kind of took control. There was never a real danger that they were going to lose that game. Duke hung in there. I look at it from the perspective two we, teams we forgot to mention, Florida State and Notre Dame are tied for second with Louisville, uh, just two games off the pace. But North Carolina 14-4 and in conference play, and they're battle-tested. We talk about that every year, but you win 14 games in that conference. I don't want to take anything away from what teams are doing in other conferences, but they're going to go into March Madness knowing that there probably isn't anything that they haven't seen before. Like Nothing will shock them in the big moments. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're as close to a pro team as you can get, you know? and, and that's just that North Carolina versus Duke. Basically, you have to train that way. Krzyzewski is always going to have his scheme going uh, right, clicking at, at, in March, and North Carolina just has the, the numbers, and Justin Jackson, if he's not going to beat you, Meeks is going to beat you, and if Meeks isn't going to beat you, Barry or Barry is going to beat you. They just have have the numbers, and if one of, one of their superstars is going to have an off night, I think they can still survive one of those tough Sweet 16 battles leading into the Elite Eight, where the games start to get tighter, and each mistake gets magnified, especially in the final four minutes of the game. And if we're looking at the rest of this conference, those teams I mentioned, Notre Dame, Florida State, Duke, and Louisville, rounding out the top five in the conference... I guess Virginia and they're tied for fifth as well. So we say like there's a next group of teams just under North Carolina. Louisville to me is an interesting one because they have the athletes, they're coached well with Rick Pitino, and they defend very well. They've been inconsistent at times. 
I don't want to downgrade Notre Dame or Florida State, but I'm still not buying that in crunch time they can outperform these other teams. Well, Florida State, I believe I heard Joe Lenardi, the great Joe Lenardi, who the legendary puts a lot of work Joey in Brackett. St. Joseph's <laughs> own Joe Lenardi, where Florida State's all of their signature wins came at the friendly confines of wherever they play. <laughs> it's friendly, though. Yeah, It's very friendly. But all of their, their big wins have come at home. They went to Duke and lost in the last week. We'll see how they do at the neutral site this week in the tournament. But they're a team that I could probably not rely on for mm-hmm. the, to make a bit of a run. Virginia, on the other hand, they're one of the top defensive teams in the country. To piggyback on your Louisville point, the biggest thing with these good defensive teams in clutch situations in March... I don't like bringing referees into it, but a lot of it has to do with yeah. how the ga- the flow of the game and how the, the foul count is called. If, if one of your star defenders gets two fouls in the first half with eight minutes to go, you're going to be in trouble for that game, or at least it's going to be a close game. If you foul without keeping your hands up, feet moving, you're going to get yourself into trouble, and that's one way from the free throw line to get a a team that's not up to your par to stay in the game longer. And that's what's great about this tournament is is sometimes you're going to get those teams that don't necessarily belong in that game on paper. But you know what? They're going to give it all they got because this is the only shot they have. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you with there. I think Virginia is a team where we've just wondered, can they score? Because they've had a couple upsets as a top seed in the last couple of years where the offense has dried up. I mean, Grant, he's a good player, though. He is. He's going to be one of those other marketable names. He's the only. He's got that face that you can market the hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. Are Are you worried though, Tom, about Duke? I mean, fifth in the conference, we kind of expected a little better. This was a preseason top five team, and they're only fifth in their own conference. It's weird because Kennard's good. Tatum's a beast. Allen, for all the drama there, is a good college player. But yet they've lost seven times in their conference, and they've had some external factors with Coach K missing some time and, and whatnot. Are you, are you worried with Duke going into the tournament? They face some adversity. I'd like to see how they perform in the tournament here coming up. But I like Coach K. Yeah, you just got to trust them. It's like Izzo or these guys, like they get in, they're fine. If you give me the choice between North Carolina and Duke, I think I'm a Tar Heel fan. Overall, I'm not a Duke Duke fan by any means, but you have to respect the legacy that Coach K has put together in his career. Predicated on what they do in March, I wouldn't be worried about what Duke brings to the table going into the tournament. They have had their disappointments in recent memory. Now, odd that they, they're all of a sudden a freshman school. You never thought of Duke face, as a K. freshman school. Which I get. I mean, he adapted to how the game and how the rules were being played. But it is true. There's no continuity there. And I just worry, post-up play. They turn into this team that's iso ball, that's three-point shooting. And that well can dry up, you know, come big times of the year. So I, I get what you're saying. Coach K is a trusted guy. But this team has some major flaws. With every out in the first round Duke team, there's a national championship Duke team that yeah. can fall back on this with the Jalil Okafer team, Tyus Jones. Yeah. In recent memory, that had to be in the last five years. Well, yeah, it was uh, what, 2014, two, two I think, ago. 2015. Yeah, it was 2015. But Duke right now is 14. They're going to be a 4-5 seed. I mean, that, 
Dangerous dangerous. waters. Yeah, there it is. They go from overrated to dangerous based on where they're (laughs) seated. I do want to mention another conference switching points right now. Tom, it's probably one of the worst years I can remember the Big Ten having. Top to bottom, especially at the top. You have Purdue that's pacing the Big Ten. A solid season, certainly. But Maryland, Wisconsin, up there. Michigan State not doing good here. They're trying to fight to get in. Michigan, it's been a disaster. Northwestern might actually make the tournament for the first time ever. I know. Uh, Adam Musto is very happy about that. He is. But I would say, and I'll throw it to you, but I'm, I am a little surprised. Not that conferences generally have down years. But I'm surprised how poor the Big, Big Ten's played, especially... Ohio State also a down year. Dreadful year for them. But I'm just surprised by how the Big Ten has played, especially in these non-conference games. To me... It really does look like it's a down year talent wise. Not so much X's and O's, but you watch these teams play time, and I just don't think they have the talent that some of these other conferences do. Yeah, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the Big Ten, but I know the little that I've watched, it has been those teams like Penn State and Rutgers and Ohio State, who may are in that third, probably third to last tier in that conference. But I have watched Michigan when they were on their roll a couple of weeks ago and they faced Michigan State and beat them handily by like 20 or 30. But, I mean, it's a struggling Michigan State team. It's tough to make hay in that conference when you don't know the identity of your team. I do like the Michigan team, honestly. Michigan State? Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, they're going to – that's a battle to get in. Yeah. Because right now the Big Ten has three ranked teams, Purdue's 12 and then 24-25 Maryland, Wisconsin. That's it. Purdue's going to make a run, I think. Caleb Swanigan's a good player. They have depth at the the big man position with Haas. They're that blue-collar squad who's probably going to make their free throws down the stretch and get it done. But You figure figure they're the class right now. Wisconsin, Maryland, and I'd say Minnesota is pretty safe at at fourth in the conference right now. Then you have that next batch of Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa. Highly doubtful all three of those teams. Still holding a grudge against Iowa because there was a shove in the back of Obi and Echionia at the game. Okay, yeah. First round game against Temple. The only guy in LA that's still harping about this. But if I had a whistle, I would blow it. I think Michigan State might get the bump because it's Izzo because they played a lot of tough games early. And look, I'm I'm an unabashedful Tom Izzo fan. If they make the tournament, they they have some serious deep run potential. Just on who he is and how they perform in March, but they've been snake bitten by injuries this year. Yeah, it's an interesting spot to be in. I think conference tournament-wise, this is maybe the most intriguing one to watch of any of them. I believe it's the last one of the yeah. right before Sunday selection Sunday every year, and and it should be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to watching some of these games later in the week here. So let's switch topics now, Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch effect. I want to talk about the SEC, and we. Pretty much have to start with Kentucky just about every year we do this. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. I want to frame it like this, though, Tom. This is one of the most unpredictable, at least going into March Madness, Kentucky teams that I can remember. Usually it's either this team's absolutely loaded, we hope they get upset, we hope something bites them up, or you know this team has flaws, they're coming in wounded, then they'll be handled quick. But this year, you look at what they've done, the winning streaks, and, and at times losing streaks they've gone on. It's hard to put a finger on where this team can be anywhere from Maybe one and done, maybe you know one win and then a loss, or all the way. As I think they have all the way potential, as sad as that is. Yeah, I think they're... I don't like this Kentucky team. I don't think it's nearly... Okay. Nearly the, the Kentucky team Calipari has put together in the past. I think 
I could go off the ledge here and say Briscoe's overrated. I could, Ooh, you didn't I, say Monk, though. <laughs> I, my Monk might be a sixer soon, so I can't really go that far. I just don't – I don't know. You think that they're going to come at home. You look at these spreads. They haven't covered one in the last month. It's a fair point, although we've seen teams go very far bucking the spread not covering it and still winning the game. Well, if they face adversity throughout the season, that, that leads you to believe, like, I didn't get to mention Maryland in our last Big Ten, but they've also faced some adversity as far as playing in close games on the road or playing in close games will right. help a team grow and, and, and get come together as a squad. Yeah. But you're right. It's almost like they're waiting for the playoffs. Like, it's the NBA, and you're waiting to turn it on when it counts. Maybe that's what's happening with this squad Isaiah is a sophomore, right? Mm, yeah, I think that's Is he the only one on the team? <laughs> I think I am. Yeah, and they like got the senior Willis, who just yeah. proposed to his girlfriend on senior night. But th- that's the Congrats. experience. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. experience. I don't know if, if Briscoe being kind of the mouthpiece of that team uh, leader, so to speak. Uh, Fox has really great potential. Monk, they have great players, but it's all... Fox, is, the, I think, is the key. Because you, yeah. you talk about the inside presence. They do have great players. I, I see the parallels with both the NBA structure and Maryland, although Maryland has multiple, like Tremble coming back. Like that's sophomore now is a veteran in college basketball, just the way the landscape is. I think with Kentucky, what impresses me, maybe not the most, but certainly, they're fifth, I think, in offensive efficiency. I think UCLA's one and a couple other schools that aren't going to be factors in March Madness. So let's say they're the second best contender offensively speaking. Kentucky. Kentucky is. They just they put up points. So you know that they can do it in a variety of ways. And defensively, they're above average. They're not great, but they're good enough. At times, even with the wall and the Boogie Cousins years, they just haven't defended well. They have some shooting. I won't say it's amazing, but they have at least the ability to keep the defense honest. I wonder about this SEC conference, if, they're, if that's fluffing them up a little bit too. Because every year it seems like we're searching for who the second best team is in this conference, and it's hard to find. Well, I think Florida is the best team in this conference. Oh, frankly. even better than Kentucky. Absolutely, they. Now they just lost the Vanderbilt. I think it was. I mean, well, I haven't yeah. seen that game, but uh, throughout the year, I think they've consistently showed that they have the clout to be the class of that that conference. Uh, South Carolina, obviously. I would put third because the last month or two, they've really not had the same momentum that they did in the non-conference schedule. They were locking people down. They beat Syracuse by more than 20 on the road early in the season. But again, they they have had their home loss to Alabama in four overtimes. They, Mm -hmm. Tennessee started a little strong, you know, those mid to low tier SEC squads. I think it's a improving conference, much like you said, the big 10 is, is, Going down, I think the SEC is trending. The football is trending inverse. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is, right? No, I agree. I mean, you got to include Arkansas in there, too. I just don't know. you got know. Bruce Pearl with Auburn, who... They're starting to get something. It's that They were a, work a pesky in team this year, yeah. not necessarily translating into wins. Rick Barnes and Tennessee, they're getting these... Yeah, they're, they're going to just miss. Tennessee's probably just going to miss the tournament. There's a, an upward trend there with those perennial good coaches... I know Bruce Pearl was in the SEC and got into some trouble, but finds his way back. LSU was not a great team. A lot of people oh, no. were pronouncing <laughs> them this year. I'm just going probably from bottom up. Arkansas, solid squad. So I don't know if Vanderbilt has been playing people tough just as, as much. Look at the, the Kentucky game. They took them down the wire. 
Yeah, and I think Florida's new coach, the only team he hasn't beaten is Vanderbilt. It's four years there, which is wow. an interesting stat to point out. It's well, hopefully stunning. they won't be finding them in the tournament. I know. Well, there's a lot to decide there. Uh, Pac-12, though, Tom, I want to get to the two-headed race that is UCLA and Arizona. But, you know, in addition to that, these are two teams that are tough. That game they played just a week ago, a little over a week ago, was a great one that you say won on the road. But it's been almost a decade, nine years, since a Pac-12 team has made the Final Four. And you're discounting Oregon already? They're, they're next up. Okay, I'm not putting them in that class yet. If they make their I shots, say. they are one if, of the best teams in the country. Well, there it if is. If they make their shots. <laughs> Five, four straight games. <laughs> Just ask Arizona, Four right? straight games <laughs> to get to the Final Four? I'm not buying it, but okay. <laughs> I think it could really end this year. I think that drought is more circumstance than just the teams not being good. My money would be on UCLA, but I'd give Oregon a decent chance, Arizona a reasonable chance, and UCLA a very, very good chance to make the Final Four this year. I, I think I, yeah, you're right on there. Lonzo Ball is a stud. Oh. Leading the country in assists as a freshman and doing it while still scoring at an efficient rate. I think that's what people don't fully comprehend about this kid. He's not just getting his numbers. because He's getting his numbers at an unbelievably efficient rate and helping his team win in the process. Yeah, and then switching to Arizona, I think that's... I, I talk a lot about depth, and, and that counts a lot. You're, you got to have at least an eight-man rotation to make a nice run because you're playing an awful lot. Laurie Markkinen can step back, shoot the three, rebound. They have Ristic, who's a backup center, who is... <laughs> Lights out, down low. I'm not in love with this Arizona team. And maybe it's just because I've seen them kind of struggle three-quarters of the way through a game and then finish it. And and Lonzo Trier is an unpredictable force. I've seen him get chewed out by his coach, Sean Miller, when he tries to make a, a me-first kind of play. Let's get on Center instead of making the easy pass to make sure he finishes down low. And those little mistakes may bite them in the butt in a potential upset. I'm not saying they will get upset. However, they've shown in the past that they, they can't beat Wisconsin, right? Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I mean first, off, yeah, first off, that could happen again. Mentioning the fact that this is as deep as the Pac-12 has been with six pretty much locks to go to the tournament. With the three we mentioned, Utah, who's 20-10. and 10. USC's 23-8, and they're going. Cal. And then Cal is the sixth one at 19-11. So I, I look at them as going. But So Arizona, what I wanted to say about them, psychologically, you can be a team that's never gotten there or lose early, but they're going to have some psychological things to get over, too. They've been so close to the Final Four. The last two years, easy, but probably the last five or six years, no team in the Pac-12 has been more consistently close than them. You think that'll affect them down the stretch? I mean, it's in the back of their mind. Like, we, we were so close. We're right there. If anybody knows consistently <laughs> close, it's a Philadelphia I guess Eagles I should have asked you that. That was a perfect question <laughs> to ask. Or uh, Crowns consistently yeah. far away. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, you're definitely assuming, you know, you're always in the hunt, obviously, and, and it's all about the matchups. And you're going to be in a West bracket, most likely, with Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga is gonna it's gonna be a showdown between one of these Pac-12 teams and a Gonzaga in an Elite Eight scenario, or even a Sweet 16 scenario, where the winner of that is gonna be your Final Four team. Because assuming that they both get there now. (laughs) Oh, this is true. This is true. But I see what you're saying. It's I'm hearing a Pac-12 versus Gonzaga. It's the dream scenario, and it's one where we'll see 
how real both th- those teams are. Whether, okay, is the Pac-12 conference back? Let's see it. Or is Gonzaga real? Let's see it. And, and I think that's a perfect way to segue into Gonzaga, Tom, because, you know, that's the biggest question right now in college basketball. Everybody's talking about, is Gonzaga real? How legit are they? And my take is, look, they're doing exactly what they can, the only thing that they can. I have serious questions about this team, but I don't think we'll be able to answer them until they face adversity. There's nothing they can do one way or the other that's going to change our perspective of whether they can win at all. Yeah, I like that team a lot. I've watched a lot of Gonzaga basketball this season. They outscore everybody in the country. They win all their games by 20 points. They had one game where they stumbled down the stretch. I think that loss might have helped. Okay, yeah. I equated a lot of their their season, like the 2004 St. Joseph's undefeated team, mid-major school, going on a big run, has really good players, different makeup of that team. St. Joseph's. Well, Jane, St. Yeah. Joseph's had two stud guards, Delonte West, Jameer Nelson. And this team is so deep. They're back, they say their com- most competitive games are the in-team scrimmages during practice. I wouldn't believe that. Shemek Karnowski is a, uh, just a man-child down low. And Nigel Williams-Goss is the man up in the front court. So, or back court. I always get those names. Either way. <laughs> As a guard. As a guard. Well, I mean, he plays up front, too. <laughs> No, but I, I I agree with you. I think Gonzaga, at, at a depth standpoint, now, they didn't lose their game in the conference tournament like St. Joe's did, so maybe they have more time to prepare and fix that and, and peak at the right time. I'll say as a one seed, it's all about the draw, too. I mean, we've seen Gonzaga lost as a one seed a couple of years ago. Wichita State was another example of a team that came in with that big undefeated streak and lost the 1-8 matchup. So they're going to be tested early on. I'm intrigued to see if it is that Pac-12 showdown because how they match up with teams like Arizona who can match them depth for depth, or UCLA who has a playmaker involved, they have never, not even close. It's not BYU or Loyola, Marymount, or Pepperdine. So we'll have to see there. Before we get to the end of the segment with Tom Weisenbach talking college basketball, one conference we didn't mention was the Big 12. And we always know Kansas is there. I would say to me, Tom, right up with North Carolina, they're a team I can consistently say is one of the best in the country. Baylor, I wasn't falling for it early. Not to, not to say I told you, you guys so. But I just I don't, I don't really see that run potential with that team. They're so streaky. They're so inconsistent. And quite frankly, not a knock on Coach Drew and his program, but a little undisciplined at times. Yeah, they've fallen victim to the early round upset in recent past as well. So that's also in the back of your memory. And that's probably one of those things you were thinking about all year long when they, even when they got the number one seed, they although, lose their next game. Although, I gotta be honest, I was thought the same thing about Villanova for years until last year they proved everybody wrong. But people are gonna forget that it, historically in the last decade, they were one of the biggest teams that choked. They were out in the second round two years in a row, and uh, <laughs> I just listened to an interview with Jay Wright, who mentioned that, and that's one of the reasons they made their run was was for those players, uh, the Italian names. <laughs> DiVincenzo is it this year, but uh, who is it last? The but, national championship? Well, I know Jenkins at the shop. Of course, yeah. Remembered oh, Jenkins. Ever. But going back to the Big 12, we got Baylor and West Virginia, who I stumbled on. It was in the Big 12 because everybody just keeps moving around. But you have Baylor and West Virginia pushing on Kansas, who still only have two losses. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, you think, ah, maybe. But I think, again, this is a top-heavy Big 12. And I think for Kansas to make a deep run, they have the freshmen. You know, they have freshmen. We all know that, Tom. But 
defensively, very underrated part of their game is when they put the clamps on and they can defend. I like this team to match up with anybody, even challenge North Carolina on the glass. Yeah, I watched their game against Oklahoma, and it was their senior night, and they were down by 12 in the second half. And Frank, apparently, the sideline reporter for that game, reported that Bill Self essentially said, get your you-know-what out of your you-know-what. And Frank Mason then went on his own yeah. run and yeah. led the team to an easy double-digit victory in that game. So I don't know what that tells us about the rebounding abilities, but I think the will to win is there, and the experience of a senior like Frank Mason, coupled with Jackson, who is just phenomenal oh, leaper. Yeah. And I think he has a lot to do with their rebounding success, obviously. So if he's on the court, he can't get into any foul trouble. Bill Self, one blog that I read, claims that he is, uh, of course it was a Villanova <laughs> fan-written blog, says that he, Bill Self is one of the most overrated coaches. But that's just a Jay Wright apologist. So yeah, I mean, yeah, they've had well. their stumbles in recent years. The fact that they haven't won since 08, you know, you know as the one title there, you think, how do they not have more? Maybe the talent factor, there's too much talent, it's hard to focus. Like Kentucky, maybe they're waiting for the tournament to start. But I've grown to like Self because when his team is not playing well, he pulls no punches, he blames nobody but that locker room. I think they were they lost to TCU a couple years ago when he said, guys from the Kansas Y would have been, would have been better today. <laughs> like, he will not, I mean, and you want a coach that's kind of almost the polar opposite of Coach Cal in that way. Coach Cal, you never hear him rip his team that much, and... and Self can be ruthless, but I think it's Kansas' conference, but I wouldn't sleep on I know Baylor, I'm not sold on West Virginia as a tough team as well, so there could be Temple some be West Virginia and Florida State this year. Yeah, well, Just maybe I'll, 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 I'll remember that when I'm pulling out my bracket. NIT champions. <laughs> well, before I let you go, Tom Weisenbach, Money Mitch Effect, talking college basketball. We didn't really get into depth with Villanova defending. They looked to maybe do it for the first time in, in, since Florida about exactly 10 years ago. But you look at that team... And it's more of a broader question, Tom. You look at a team that's built on leadership, not too many freshman studs. you think that's going to be, whoever wins it, it's going to be a team that relies on seniority? Or can a freshman, can Alonzo Ball, can a Jackson at Kansas, can, I mean, Fultz isn't in it because Washington's terrible, but can one of these freshman studs, Malik Monk, can they do it? Can they do the unthinkable and lead a team to a title, or is it going to take more than that? I think... The formula for that is it, it takes more than just a freshman to lead a team. I think you need a senior leader, and Kansas has that guy in Frank Mason. UCLA has some depth. Alfred, I haven't watched much of UCLA. Alfred is uh, quite the leader. And, and I would just kind of do. For every team that is a contender, I believe you have that guy who is the stabilizing force. You give him the ball, they can score right. the basketball. Make a play to, to turn things in your favor. It's the way you win. It's not so much... Like, you can win with a freshman being the best player, but you're not probably not going to win with ball having to drop 30. It's got to be a very mature freshman. Play. Right. You, you don't want to play iso ball. I mean, even going back to when freshmen have won it. Okafor year, he had more around him. You know, it wasn't just Julio, the Julio Okafor show. Mel might be the biggest example of a freshman leading everybody there, the Carmelo Anthony Syracuse team in 03, but he had Jerry McNamara, he had Akeem Warwick, there was other talent around him, and Anthony Davis's Kentucky team that won it was stacked one through five and even off the bench. I think for a team to win, you're going to have to have somebody to stabilize you. Because you remember, too, like you get into these games, there's going to be runs. Basketball is such an emotional game, it's up and down, there's a lot of time. 
You're going to find yourself down 10 in a tournament game. I would be shocked if whoever wins the tournament isn't trailing. This is one of those weird... We'll roll back that tape. At some point in the tournament, there's going to be a double-digit deficit. It's probably going to be like five minutes into the first game. It's like, all right, everybody just calm down. But you need, you know, the composure thing. Baylor didn't have it last year. We mentioned them. Some of these teams just Kentucky's aren't used been, to it. I'm sorry, but Kentucky's yeah. been in those games. They were in a tough game against Georgia at home. They went down 10, 15, nothing early in the game, and they actually did the same thing against Vanderbilt, I mm-hmm. think, at home again. So right. they've been through those games where they've kind of spotted an inferior team, a double-digit lead. You know, you just need and, that leader, right? You just to yeah. say, we're fine. Like, it's cool. Or that player that's not going to be... The vocal leader, but that just walks out there, makes three shots in a row, and all of a sudden, come, on, come on, guys, yeah. just defend, and I'll get the ball in the room. <laughs> yeah, well, and I look at so we've seen it go the other way. We've seen teams, we've seen uh, the Wiggins and B Kansas team lose. I think Stanford in the second round, and they were you know they were kind of arguing a little bit. We've seen that too. We've seen you wonder with freshmen that know they're going to the NBA if they're down ten in the second half, do they check out? Is that the end of my college sure career? Is, yeah. So. I'm excited. Well, Tom, thanks for joining. We didn't talk about everything. We tried to cover a lot. I left out my 20-loss Billiken team. Not not the worst team in the A-10 this year. Only fourth worst. So that's uh, only a step fourth in the right worst. direction. We've got some recruits coming. And, Who's uh, going to win the uh, A-10 this year? Ooh, I'd say, I'm going to try to see. Richmond, I think they're up there. Not Joe's, because I watched Joe's no, play. they're not good anymore. Well, did you see the end of the Joe St. Louis game? No. Joey Joey Brackett, Joe Lenardi was calling that game for St. Joe's Radio. One of the few Billiken games they won it was on that Mardi Gras Saturday, which always gets a big crowd. St. Joe's is down three with ten seconds left. They made it not top ten, and the guard just went to the basket, shot a layup as time expired. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the Cooks out there. It's, Great coaching, uh, Phil. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Way to go. Phil Martelli. I'd say Richmond's fourth in there. I like them to go. Um, I want to say. Dayton's always good. Yeah. I'll say Richmond, Rhode Island. I like Rhode Island, actually, but I'll say Richmond just to keep it consistent. Who was Big East Tournament? I can go against Nova, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, Butler faces him in the finals. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Tom, thanks again for joining the show. We'll have to have you back here soon. I think a March Madness preview is going to be in order at some point. Cool. Works for me. Thanks again. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Many thanks to both C.J. Deer and Tom Weisenbach for making appearances on the Money Mitch Effect, which you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it comes right up. I know I, I keep saying it, but it's worth a friendly reminder. It, it is. We're in Lent now. I can be friendly with it. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for sports and other takes. There's going to be a lot of those in the next couple months with college basketball ramping up, the draft season upon us in professional football and hockey and NBA action reaching uh, playoff points as well so a lot to discuss there'll be another episode of the show this week where we break down some interesting storylines in the NBA and we got a tennis discussion too we got a preview Indian Wells the fifth major as they dub it in Palm Springs I'm going to be there for a little bit of it so you're not going to want to miss that as well that was the Money Mitch Effect I am Mitch Michaels thank you for listening and until next time keep up with sports because you know I will